Welcome, everyone, to episode... What is this, Vic? 10? Mm. Episode 10. Mm. Let's do it. If so what now? Thank you for tuning in once again. We have a very special guest today. She goes by the name of Samantha. How you doing, Sam? Not too bad. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Great. Buzz it. It's, it's Friday. You can't complain. That is true. Although the weather... Oh my God, not so much. I know, the weather's been terrible. It was so in and out all day today, and I feel like it's been like that for the entire year, really. That's a good way to put it. Yep. And next I week know, is it not hasn't been looking... hot. Next week is grim. Oh, hate to see it. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of hating to see it, um, Sam, where are you from? I know, well necessarily before you dive into that mm-hmm. uh sam went to school with me at merrimack college for those who were listening to previous episodes i went to merrimack college just graduated going back to grad school at merrimack college so fun so sam where are you from yeah so i'm actually from south windsor connecticut it's like a half hour outside of hartford so it's about two hours from merrimack so a little bit farther than you know some of our other friends but not terrible in my opinion and just like a nice little quaint town, not a lot going on, but that's okay. Yeah, especially near, you know, being 30 minutes away from the city mm-hmm. of Boston. I'm pretty sure you had your fair share of experiences in Boston. I certainly did have my fair share of experiences in Boston. So prior to actually going to Merrimack, I had only been to Boston one time, which is kind of mind boggling to me because we are so close. But at Merrimack, I was there in Boston for track at least once a week practicing for pole vault my first two years and then this past year in particular I was there a lot just hanging out with friends and stuff like Carol and Gilly we would all go out together on the weekends or whatever and then this past semester I actually interned in South Boston so that was I was there twice a week what was that uh internship entailing yeah so i actually interned at the edward m kennedy institute for the u.s senate as an education and visitor services specialist i guess and i basically just worked with school groups that came in members of the public that came in kind of educating them about the history of the senate what the senate looks like today and what we hope the senate will look like in the future and kind of what their role is in american politics and american society Oh my, that oh, sounds a very, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Most definitely. sounds like a lot. It it is a lot. A little different from from health science and nursing, but it's all good. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's got their own kind of little niche, and that's definitely mine. So yeah. What really made you find that that love for that? I, ooh, I really don't even know exactly. I really had a love for history. So history was my major at Merrimack. And I really wasn't exposed to politics at all. Like in my childhood, obviously, but like in high school, wasn't really into it, wasn't really my thing. And then I just like really dove into it my last few years at Merrimack, like absolutely loved it. I I don't know. It was just like I kind of found it and it worked out well for me I guess but I didn't really seek it so I think history was definitely like a little tool that was like a stepping stone because obviously a lot of politics and you know policy decisions are based on history so that was definitely a good way to lead me into it Mm -hmm. where you say that 
could have you been influenced by the the political change that we've been seeing in these past four uh, few years <laughs> would that probably yeah i think like something most certainly yeah definitely i think more so than ever i mean when Barack Obama was elected for his second term in 2012. None of us were 18, so we couldn't really vote, couldn't really pay attention. But I think with the past presidential election, that was like a huge like eye-opener for me, I guess, mm-hmm. because it was so incredibly polarizing in all aspects, not just policy, but in society as well. So I think that definitely sparked my interest in kind of looking deeper into you know, what makes people think, like, how do people come to their particular views? Not that anyone's views are necessarily wrong, but kind of how do we get there and how can we find this common ground? So I think that definitely sparked my interest. Mm-hmm. And I know what you just said before this, too, is that um, in the future, you want to work with civil rights and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. What in in our generation, what would you like to, to see change based on that? Based on that. So I think that our generation in particular is really well equipped to kind of tackle a lot of different issues that America faces today. So I would love to see like more, like not more of an acceptance, but like more acknowledgement that racism does still exist in the United States. That's a huge issue that I think a lot of people ignore or are colorblind to quote unquote. So I'd like to Mm -hmm. see more of an awareness of that and kind of steps towards healing that I guess I can't I can never find the right words to kind of describe it because it is such like a touchy subject and I am a white woman so it's a little weird coming from me as well um and then I'd also like to see great steps for the LGBT community as well so we were doing really great for a while and I think this administration in particular has kind of taken a step back yeah yeah you know do you kind of see is there anything that you think could help people kind of open their eyes more to being more open to different backgrounds and just different people themselves? Yeah, most definitely. So again, I think just the more that people know, then the more eye-opening it is. So one of the, I guess, big things right now is Ava DuVernay's Netflix series, When They See Us, about the Central Park Five. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have watched it or are aware. You definitely got to watch it. So I think that kind of sheds a light on the New York police department and like the late eighties and how they kind of functioned, mm-hmm. but also not just them, but a whole light on racism in America at that time and kind of how it's developed to where we are today. So that just like little things like that. So that's a huge thing, like easily accessible for most people in the U S I don't think I know one person that doesn't have a Netflix account or have access to it. So stuff like that. There's also like a lot of great authors writing on, these issues so just being open to kind of like grab these resources that you might not necessarily look for and kind of being willing to read these ideas or watch these ideas i think that'll definitely help yeah yeah i think people used to say a lot ignorance is bliss Mm -hmm. but i think in the world we live in now you really can't you can't be ignorant you know i think you really do have to find it in yourself to to go out there and really look for the right information in order to really benefit your mind yeah i 100 percent agree especially again in today's society where everything is so easily accessible on the internet like you really can't be ignorant to to anything it's really hard to ignore stuff that's going on without kind of getting caught up in a scandal or something so Mm -hmm. 
Awesome. So with all these systemic, um, I guess, issues, mm-hmm. more or less, um, how would I say this? How would I word this? Because you did mention that whole uh, series on Netflix. I have yet to watch it. I've seen mm-hmm. it. I've passed by it. I've been wanting to watch it. I've heard it's really, really good. I've heard nothing but good things. Yes, I, I haven't heard one negative um, review of this mm-hmm. uh, series. But when you think of systemic um, issues such as that, mm-hmm. where do you believe it starts? Oh, where does it start? Ooh. I think, <laughs> I think wow. it goes, it goes way back, definitely. So I think I could probably talk for like days on this, but it goes back to, you know, when the colonies were founded really. And, you know, we have slavery and you have the Atlantic slave trade and that's just kind of like, a stepping stone really to continue, you know, to the discrimination we see today. So there's a lot of scholars, obviously I'm not one of them. I literally just have a bachelor's degree. So people listening, take this lightly, but there are scholars (laughs) who, who have said that slavery didn't end. It's kind of evolved. So you have slavery and then that gets outlawed, but then you see, you know, the rise of Jim Crow laws and segregation and then, okay, that kind of ends, but then you see the rise of mass incarceration in the eighties the war on drugs and it's just kind of continued under like a different name obviously we don't have slavery in the united states today but there is still like these systemic issues that stem from that institution if that makes any sense no yeah absolutely i think something was new in every decade after Mm -hmm. the civil rights era and Mm -hmm. um especially in the 60s but I like to make the comparison right now that a lot of people see, I don't know if you agree with this as well, mm-hmm. that a lot of people see the way the 60s were, were kind of like how it geared towards this sort of decade, like towards, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. um, especially through 2012 and on after the Trayvon Martin case, it kind mm-hmm. of just spiraled out of control. And that was among the worst times Um, because now you had Barack Obama winning his second election Mm -hmm. and so many things are going on within not just state of Florida that has a terrible law where Mm -hmm. you can take out a gun if you feel like you're in danger. Right. All that, I guess, more or less that, do you believe state laws, especially in the South? And I don't want to knock the South too much, especially because of how far they've become. Right. And... And do you believe that certain laws should be overrided by the federal government? Also a tough question. So I think there's certainly a fine balance between states' rights and where the federal government has a role and what they're they're able to do. But I think when it comes to these civil rights issues that the federal government, one, has a right to step in and two, has done so in the past. So they really have no excuse to kind of sweep it under the carpet. Uh, at this point in time. So I know we don't really want to target the South, but in Alabama, it's still in their state constitution that schools are to be segregated. And they voted to repeal it, I believe, in the early 2000s. And I believe most recently in 2012, and it was rejected both times. So it's just kind of mind boggling that these laws are in effect and that they're still being supported by the people. So I think the federal government certainly has a role to step in there. That is scary. So, so now, um, I remember you mentioned that you, especially I think throughout the spring semester, you told me, mm-hmm. me and Mike, that you had gone to Alabama. When was that, and how was that experience? 
Yeah, so I went to Alabama over President's Day weekend in February. I was just there for three days. I actually went to Atlanta as well, very briefly. But it was very eye-opening. I had never been to the South before. I'm obviously from Connecticut, from New England. Really haven't been anywhere else. I've been to California. That's about it. So I was very lucky to be able to go on this trip and learn a lot more about these issues that I am very passionate about and like just kind of be there where all these, you know, monument civil rights movements, you know, kind of occurred. So we were in Montgomery where, you know, the famous Montgomery bus boycott happened where Rosa Parks famously said no to giving up her seat to a white man. We were able to see where Martin Luther King preached in his Baptist church in Atlanta and just all these kind of monumental moments in American history. And it was really cool to be there, but also very sad that, you know, we still have these systemic issues in the country. Yeah, that makes sense. Completely. I mean, um, comparing the South to the North, Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of weird to say that because that's such an 1800s thing to say. I know, you know, and yeah. it's still much so very prevalent in in our age, which is pretty mm-hmm. scary when you say that. Um, a lot of people say, "Oh, we've come so far mm-hmm. with civil rights and all that stuff," and mm-hmm. now we have the release of all these documentaries that has come out from the 70s, 80s, 90s, now even in 2000s. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that this decade and this decade in specific? Um, is going to be talked about very much so frequently within 10 to 20 years from now. I definitely think so. I, I feel that with the Trump presidency in particular, that it's going to be hard to not talk about it, regardless of whether or not you agree with his policies. You know, it's got people in an uproar on both sides. So I think that that's certainly going to be something to talk about in history classes, five, 10, 20 years from now. So. Yeah. And, you know, I think it is something that we can embrace because, you know, it'll go down in history as a point in where people finally decided that, hey, I think we've had enough Mm -hmm. and we should actually try to figure our our things out in a better fashion so that we can actually understand what's going on and not just follow political figures, per se. And that we need to make a movement because Mm -hmm. if we can't change things, things are always going to stay the same. And we're going to just continue this this loop of where, you know, politicians say one thing, they never do it. Mm-hmm. And then poor people say poor, rich people say rich. And I think we, you know, our generation for sure are going to be the tomorrow changers. As corny mm-hmm. as that does sound, mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, I've met a lot of my friends that really want to make change and that are passionate about change. Mm-hmm. And just like you, Samantha, that you want to make that change. And, you know, that really does make me happy because I know that there's good people in the world that want to make good change. Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, since, like, I've become aware of it, I obviously, I feel like I'm one of those people that wants to make a positive change in the world, no matter how small, which probably sounds super naive to, like, anyone older listening to this, but that's fine. Um, And what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought entirely, so we're just going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, change, how small or big it is, it's still change. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And even so then, um, I think this whole, um, I guess, philosophy of having that old thinking and mm-hmm. not adapting to the new, because even us, like, 
we're probably going to not like something 20, 30 years from now. Oh, I'm sure. And just because we don't like it, it doesn't mean we can't adapt, you know? I feel like that's what's happening with a lot of people. They're mm-hmm. seeing old administrations and old thought, old laws that they want to bring back that they really liked. But mm-hmm. those aren't really helping the country in a way that's only benefiting them. So when they believe that it's only benefiting them, they're only thinking for themselves. So in a way, you have to be selfish, but to an extent. Mm. There's only so much you can have. Like me and Vic were talking about this the other day. Like these billionaires such as Bill Gates or um, just anyone who's a multi-billionaire. Yeah. The, the, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, um, uh, Steve Jobs. Jeff Bezos. Uh, just anyone like, no. you know, just who owned a million, do- a billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. Um it's just, what do you do with all that money? And I get the whole philosophy of uh, once you get more, you want more, but there's only mm-hmm. so much you can have. And I think that's right. what's really demoralizing, especially to the United States, that there's that 1% that own 50% of the world, of the country's wealth. And that's just insane to me. And I read another stat the other day. I forgot what article I was reading. I read a lot once I wake up. Mm-hmm. Just anywhere from blogs to Reddit and anything on Twitter. And I saw this and it said four-fifths of the world's wealth comes mm-hmm. from the United States. And I'm just like, holy crap, that's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's how much they own, like, just so much money. It's, like, not even income at that point. It's wealth, that extra right. money that you have. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's absolutely insane. So kind of building off of that, I I believe the last time I read this and saw this, that like the top 1% or even like even a smaller amount in that in the United States have the same amount as the bottom 90%. Like that's like the majority of the nation. So that's just crazy yeah. to me. I don't know how, I mean, I guess I do know how it happens. Like if you're going to like we all have iPhones, right? I mean, so that kind of goes to Apple. <laughs> I have, and I have, and I have an iPad, and I have a MacBook, and I'm. I think I, I have my AirPods in right now, so we're like feeding into it. But you know, we can't like live without these products now. It's a little scary, but it's mm-hmm. all. So I think if you know there was a way where these billionaires or whatever found kind of, I guess, common ground to kind of be like, oh, I really don't need this extra hundred thousand dollars today maybe i can do something with it but then you get tax law involved and it becomes another nightmare and it's just easier for them to keep it i think in the end but there's got to be a better way to do it most definitely and now with the whole um i guess taxing thing and Mm -hmm. ideology i'm not too like i guess knowledgeable in terms of like how government works and how laws used to work, how laws mm-hmm. work now today. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is the biggest difference, let's say, like 15 years ago to today? Okay. Um, 15 years ago to today. So I'm also not like very familiar with the tax law, but I do know that with the current administration, they are attempting to make tax breaks for the upper, upper, upper class easier so that they're not paying as much taxes or much in taxes and that you know the bulk of taxes is being paid by the lower class and the middle class so that's kind of the trend that we've been seeing and there's been politicians that have tried to combat it and I think they will continue to until there's kind of a fair distribution of 
of taxes or a fair collection of taxes rather. Yeah. Now in terms of wealth, like just Mm -hmm. like having the extra, um, that extra step, do you think there's a strong distinctive, um, I guess, placement from the middle class and the lower class? A strong placement. Uh, What do you mean? Sorry. Like, do you think there's a strong, uh, like, I guess, difference between the middle class and the lower class? Like, I know I saw a graph the other day that said it just scales and curves all the way towards the 1%, that there's really Mm -hmm. almost no difference between the middle class and the lower class. It's like they belong in the same exact kind of, like, I guess sort of the same exact placement, but at the same time, they don't. But that's in terms of wealth, not income. Right. No, I do agree with that, though. I think the burden of taxes in this country are collected from the lower class and then like the lower middle class so the brunt of it is falling on people that you know don't have a sustainable income to begin with and then also are not accruing wealth so it doesn't seem like a fair system to me in particular exactly now now especially what's been like exactly like going on with the trump administration he mm-hmm. basically makes people speak to each other and kind of be mad at each other so that's what kind of started this whole um, I'm right, you're wrong type of thing. And, and that's how they kind of started. And mm-hmm. to, right, and the liberals kind of um, fell in play into that. And now they're mm-hmm. just so far away. How do you think we get back into talking just about issues, which is not so prevalent today? Yeah, I think somehow we need to realize that we do – all live in this country we all are humans we all ultimately want the same things right we want to you know have enough money to survive and you know be decently happy we want to be loved we want to be healthy and that's kind of the base of what everyone wants so I think if we can kind of strip down the politics strip down the opinions and just kind of get back to that face-to-face conversation with another human being I think that'll be a great start and then also admitting when you're wrong and then when a policy may not be great. I think it's pretty clear that I'm relatively liberal, but there are also policies that I don't agree with that come from the left. So just kind of finding that middle ground, admitting when you might be wrong or when a policy might not be best, and then just kind of moving on from there and no one's perfect and the nation's not perfect, the world's not perfect, and just kind of recognizing that. I think right now everyone, again, is so I'm right, you're wrong, and that's not a good way to look at anything, really. It's not a good way to make an argument, so... Yeah, I think I think we should be embracing more that, you know, it doesn't matter red, blue, green, that at the end of the day, we're, we want the best for America, mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, what else could we want? I don't know why there has to be that argument every single day, politically wise about, oh, I'm right because of this. Oh, you're wrong because of that. Right. We, we just need to better ourselves. And I don't know why people don't want to better mm-hmm. themselves or, or American people. Because that that's why they're there. That's why they're politicians. That's why our tax dollars are paying them to, to serve us as people. But there's always this this kind of this big, oh, who's tougher act. But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And I think kind of right now we are seeing a little bit more of cooperation, I think. Mm-hmm. So I follow... AOC Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on Twitter and her and Ted Cruz have been agreeing a lot on a couple of issues so I think this morning they just tweeted about making birth control over the counter and they're both like yeah like this is a great idea and those are two people who probably could not be more polar opposites 
agreeing on an issue. So I think that's a really good step, especially from two figures who have been so not polarizing, but they've been really significant and kind of bringing about this awareness to politics in America. Do you think too that um, one reason that's happening is because we have a younger, um, how can I say it, more young people in Congress I, and in the Senate? Yeah, I definitely think so. So I think, you know, the whole point of Congress is, you know, that we have representatives that are representing the people. And beforehand, obviously not just like in recent years, but going all the way back, it's historically been, you know, older white men. So seeing mm-hmm. young people come in, seeing women come in, seeing people of color come in has been a huge step in not only representing America more accurately, but also, I think, getting America more involved and caring more about what's happening because there's people in Congress that look like them and their people can be like, oh, I can do that. I can make a difference. I can, you know, support this, argue against that and not be afraid, I guess. Yeah. No, that's right on the money. I 100% agree with that. I saw that AOC little documentary on Netflix, and that was really good. I 100% recommend that one. Um, oh, can I just ask one question? Yeah. So I, you're a fan of AOC, Samantha? Yeah, I do like her do, for the most part. <laughs> do, you think, do you think for the most part? Mm-hmm. What, what would you say currently she's doing wrong? Because I know she, she does do say a lot of good things, but... Mm-hmm. What would you say at the moment is something that she should probably like relax a little bit on? Oh gosh. Um, I'm not quite sure. Again, she's doing something right to be the youngest person elected to Congress ever, which is really, really fantastic. Do something. I think, you know, just cause she is the youngest woman ever and she comes from, you know, Queens in the Bronx that mm-hmm. I think automatically that makes her a polarizing figure. I think she does yeah. know that. And I think she does handle it very well. She comes very prepared to basically all house meetings. She is very well-spoken in interviews and her tweets are well put together. I think somehow like she could take the polarization down a little bit because obviously she is so, so far to the left, but again, then she compromises her, her own beliefs and her political views. So I don't think that's necessarily right either. So I think I don't know. I think just this willingness to kind of talk to everyone. Again, we are seeing that now with these discussions with Ted Cruz, but I think kind of taking the polarization down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Would you ever see yourself wanting to ever maybe go into politics oh, or kind of be the next God. AOC? Ooh, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it, quite honestly. I think it's a very hard job. Um, and I think it takes a special kind of person to do it. You have to be willing to put, you know, your entire life out into the public. And I don't know if I would be willing to do that personally, but I haven't thought about it. So you never know. You have to be 25 to run for the house and I'm only 22. So I've got a few years to think about it at least. Hey, you do. Hey, you'll have my vote. Thank you. Thank you. I got, I got one vote for my, my, uh, what I'm trying to think of the, the math. 20. Like 20. 2023? 20, 24? Yeah. 24? Right? Yeah, 24. Yeah, 24. I think it's 24. 2024, people. I'll be yeah, out there. This, this podcast has your vote. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So, honestly, what is your, I guess, a short-term career goal right now in terms mm-hmm. of you mentioned um, 
right before we pot with this podcast, we had a little conversation mm-hmm. um, about law school. Um, so mm-hmm. what are you really considering? Are you considering a PhD? What are you considering? Yeah, so I am considering law school. I am considering a PhD. Probably going to go the law school route. I think the PhD route is very long and a lot of work. Not that law school isn't, but I don't know if I want to spend six years of my life researching a particular issue and writing 200 plus pages on it that sounds kind of not so fun to me necessarily but I also think it could be interesting so I haven't ruled it out entirely but I think law school is probably the better route for me it's the three years and then you have your juris doctorate and you can go on and practice so that kind of sounds like what I'm leaning towards right now absolutely um mm-hmm. In terms of law school, how does that even work? I, I, I don't even know the process. Yeah, so the process is, I guess, kind of like most other grad school, you know, application processes. So instead of taking the GRE, we take the LSAS, we take the law school admission test. And that's basically scored on a 120 to 180 point system. So 150 is the median, the higher you get, obviously, the better you've done. So that score is taken heavily into your application. So that's probably like 70% of your application when schools look at it. And then, you know, GPA and letters of recommendation are probably the other 30%. (laughs) So you apply in the fall. It's a rolling basis for the most part. The earlier you apply, typically the better it is, not only for acceptance rates, but for scholarship rates. And then, you know, you get accepted or waitlisted, whatever. And you go from there. So you pick the school you want and enroll and spend $100,000 a year on, you know, classes and books and whatnot. So that's kind of what it looks like. Based on like East, West Coast, mm-hmm. is there better law schools in the East or in the West? Or are you going to stay in the East? There are a lot of good schools on the East Coast. Obviously, most of the top law schools like Harvard, Yale, they're all over here. There are a couple of good schools on the West Coast. So Stanford in California is, I think, like the number two law school right now in the country. So that's a great one. But a lot of them are concentrated in the East. So not just the top 10, but like the top 20, top 30 schools are mostly, mostly in the East. There's a couple of schools throughout the Midwest, but a lot of them on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So you'll still probably stay in the East Coast? Most likely. Yeah, that's the plan. I don't, I don't know if I could see myself out in like california or like chicago or something but yeah i'll probably stay on the east coast that's awesome um i think um what you're doing is really amazing that is just a one another i guess stepping stone where a lot of people are afraid to go into law school especially Mm -hmm. what you're going for civil rights so that's really cool especially one from the opposite side of the color you being a white woman, that's mm-hmm. no, that's that speaks leaps and bounds to how much uh, change needs to come from a country, mm-hmm. um, especially within this time. So salute to you. Thank you. Know, you. I appreciate Sam. that. <laughs> um, and diving into some other things, um, mm-hmm. you said you grew up in Connecticut. You're pretty familiar with the New England area. Yes. I, for the most part, am not really necessarily um, familiar with Connecticut. I've been to Connecticut mm-hmm. once. I, I visited uh, the oh University gosh. of Connecticut and, okay. uh, and stores, I think it is. Yep. So, yep. Um, 
what's life down that like down there what do you what do you like to do especially in the summertime like we're approaching to yeah what do I like to do so Connecticut's a little weird obviously tiny state it's in between Boston and in between New York City so there is a lot going on but there's also not a lot going on so like I said earlier I live about 20 minutes outside of Hartford but there's not a lot really going on in Hartford. There used to be, but it's kind of gone downhill. They're definitely trying to revive it, which I think is going to be great for the state in general. But things I like to do, I absolutely love going down to the Connecticut shore, which I know a lot of people from Massachusetts probably wouldn't even think about because of the Cape. But the Connecticut shore actually has a lot of great beaches, a lot of great state parks and stuff. So that's probably my favorite thing to do and just go chill, read a book, listen to music, whatever just enjoy, you know, the sun and whatnot for the time being. Because, you know, it only comes out two days a year here. So, got to enjoy it while we can. (laughs) 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 So, what do you think is the main difference between Connecticut and Massachusetts now that you've basically semi-lived in both places within a four-year span? I think... I think people from Massachusetts absolutely love being from Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> and that comes from uh, necessarily media culture, like uh, sports, yes, man. 100%. Like Barstool Sports is originally, like for the people who don't know, like Dave Portnoy is from Swampscott. Right. Like, he's from the North Shore of Massachusetts. Like he's was always lived like – 25 20 minutes outside of boston like this guy like anything that speaks boston's uh boston sports is originated through yep. barstool yep 100 percent. yeah people from massachusetts love being from massachusetts thank god i'm a boston sports fan otherwise i think i would have been beat up at merrimack people <laughs> people are so die hard it's so fun like it's so fun do not get me wrong but it's just so funny because like people from connecticut are just like well, obviously, we're split on the sports thing to begin with, but we're not like, oh, my God, Connecticut all the way. I love Hartford. It's fantastic. I will never leave this state ever. Like, I bleed. Well, I guess we are very passionate about UConn because I was going to say I bleed blue, and I was like, well, I guess a little bit. But um, we love UConn sports. I think that's probably the one similarity, but we don't really have a national sports team. But, yeah, I think that's the biggest difference is that I think Connecticut people are much more mellow about being from Connecticut while people from Mass are very (laughs) ramped up about being from Mass. Very vocal. Very vocal. Yeah, my God. Speaking of being very vocal, my God. Um, Anything from Mass, like, it was just about to be three champions in a matter of one year. Like, talk about title town. Like, it's ridiculous. Actually, I feel bad for the Bruins losing in seven. But, like, yo, sometimes I think to myself, I'm like, wait a minute. What if I was, like, not born in the Massachusetts area? I would have been a fan of something else. And Right. Being... You would be so disappointed all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I, like I, I, I really do take it for granted sometimes is how much Boston sports wins, especially around this time, because – necessarily our grandfathers and grandmothers didn't really see uh, Boston sports winning. Like right. it was a thing of now that Boston sports has become a title town and it's ridiculous. And how much expectations is through these sports teams, like through yeah. preseason all the way into in season. And 
it's crazy. You know what I also noticed too about even sports broadcasting, mm-hmm. comparing to other states and whatnot, and uh, supporting their teams. Wow, Boston sportscasters are some of the most harshest people to be like criticizing over for. Like, let's say a pitcher who just signed for like a lot of money and is really good. Mm-hmm. He's already established in the league of baseball. He yep. has one bad game. All sportscasters are like, ah, get him rid of, get him out of here. He's worthless. Like I've actually like, wow. Like being a player in Boston must probably be one of the most difficult things to actually experience yeah. through. Tough crowd. Most certainly. Like I said, die hard. So, <laughs> it's all that passion. That it passion, is, you know, it is all that passion. And I think that, you know, that goes outside of sports, too, that people from Mass are just very passionate about, you know, everything they do. But definitely displayed in sports. <laughs> yeah. And I just feel like um, as, like, gearing towards, like, your career path, Sam, like, a lot of mm-hmm. people should be extra like they are, like, in Mass. Like, in terms of certain issues that they support. Rather than being so right over a person they're arguing with, you know? So mm-hmm. it it just becomes that little simple gesture of you saying, hey, I'm so passionate about this issue. I'll do anything to, like, necessarily get it passed. Like, just like civil rights there, like, mm-hmm. certain states are just so odd, it, like, in terms of, like, systemic racism, indirect, direct racism, you name mm-hmm. it. It's still racism at the end of the day. And right. we don't really see that in the Northeast. And once that happens in the Northeast, it's an uproar. Right, right. I think, you know, obviously a lot of this does occur on the South, but it did happen in the North and in the Northeast in particular. Boston was, and to this day, still kind of is one of the most racist cities in America. I know we don't really think about that that often, but a lot of people of color, like celebrities in particular, come to Boston and they are kind of blown away by their experience because it's not something that you would anticipate experiencing in Boston. Yeah. But you know, something that also can't be ignored, because I think, you know, a lot of times we do kind of say, oh, it's a Southern issue. You know, we don't, we don't have this, but we definitely do. And we definitely have a lot of room to grow. And I think acknowledging that again, absolutely, good place to start. Yep. Absolutely. And there's a lot of systemic racism. I mean, there's still names that like support (laughs) slave trade around Boston. Right. Um, And I just think that's kind of mind boggling. It's good that you brought that up. I completely forgot Mm -hmm. about the amount of systemic racism there is. In Boston, most certainly, and a lot of those, I guess, ideas should be removed as soon as possible. And it starts there, really, in systemic racism. A lot of people don't believe that, but right, yeah, it starts with awareness. Definitely, just being aware that these issues are still occurring, and they are occurring, you know, in the places we live, in the neighborhoods we know and love, and just kind of acknowledging that and kind of taking the steps to you know, grow, like acknowledge it, but grow from it as well. Yeah. And going back to your comment on how Boston is known as one of the most racist cities in, mm-hmm. in the um, country, mm-hmm. you know, it's weird to me because a few days ago I was sitting in the tea mm-hmm. and I just look around and I'm like, wow, Boston is so diverse, mm-hmm. you know, and you see this diverse city and you would never really think that, you know, because of all this diversity that you'd still have racism, but you see it so much yeah so much yeah you definitely. know you it's it's spread out too um based on wealth too mm-hmm. so you know you can see the richest people live in boston and then you see the homeless you know which is kind of a different 
aspect of it. Right. Racism still is alive and well in, yeah. the, in the Northeast, too. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that was something that I really wasn't aware of either until, you know, I did research. I took classes again. I don't know everything on this planet. But that was something that was very eye opening for me because, you know, growing up, too, I think in the North in particular, we're taught that, like, you know, the North was great. The North did all these fantastic things, like, really supported the civil rights movement. But we also did have these issues. And I think that's kind of glossed over a lot. So. Mm-hmm. Again, just kind of that awareness is really, really great. Yeah, Vic made yeah. a great point as well about uh, the whole diversity little thing. I mean, outside really of, what is it, Brookline and Roxbury? What are yeah. they, like, yeah, only like 15 minutes away from each other? And right. the income disparity and, like, oh my gosh. the malnutrition disparity is unbelievable <laughs> between just 15 minutes outside of each other. Right. Yeah, it's not there. even like a mile. Yeah, yeah. like it's a just... mile outside of Boston, and you have you see the poorest people living the yep. worst lives. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. It's insane how <laughs> how that happens that way. But it's just a fact of of life right now in the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know? and no one wants to say anything about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think you know, obviously, the U.S. also has a lot of other issues that need to be tackled. So it's kind of like, oh, maybe we'll deal with this with this later and kind of work on you know what's the easiest thing to solve right now because it's not an easy issue to solve it it takes a long long time as as we've seen but yeah it just kind of i feel like i said it like three thousand times now but i'm gonna keep saying it (laughs) that aware that awareness i won't say it again but just like kind of growing and learning from that and accepting that it's there or not accepting that it's there acknowledging that it's there accepting it's not the right word no yeah absolutely being i guess finding tunes to like avoid the situation or the issue that's at hand just like mm-hmm. when other individuals like counteracted black lives matter with all lives matter or like right. saying like no i don't see color i'm not I, I accept everyone like that's avoiding the issue like you just want to like be so away from it that you don't want to recognize it and i think you br- bring up a really good point because a lot of people like to do that they don't they, they don't yep. like confrontation and they don't like um coming aware and they a lot of people are afraid to even like even today uh, i can only imagine how it was 50 100 years ago like how afraid it was to be a person of color to walk around the streets so yeah i i can't i can't imagine it obviously like i said earlier i'm a white woman so i don't even know what it's like to be a person of color today let alone what it would be like you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever. But yeah, it's it's mind boggling. It really is. And I think with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and then like the counter, the counter to that, the All Lives Matter movement, the Black Lives Matter movement wasn't saying that only Black Lives Matter. That wasn't their point. And it still isn't their point. It's to say that Black Lives Matter just as equally as everyone else's lives do in this country and also in the world. So I think... Again, if people are kind of doing their research, I guess, or, you know, reading and and learning that we wouldn't necessarily have the counters that we do. But again, could be a really naive statement. But that's just been my experience because I didn't know a lot about, again, politics and the Black Lives Matter movement. So, you know, five years ago, I might have been like, oh, like all lives do matter. Like, what's the point of this? But there is a significant point to it. And it's that these lives do matter just as equally as everyone else's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, 
and a lot of people like just I feel like more and more as I as we grow up here, a lot of people just like to complain. Um, yeah, it's it's actually kind of weird. They're just trying to find reasons to complain, and I really don't understand. Primary example was Colin Kaepernick uh, taking the knee to to the flag, and everyone thought mm-hmm. that oh he's disrespecting the troops, and but they didn't really understand symbolic um, symbolic piece of it, and a lot of people don't understand that he was just exercising his right, right, and, and a lot of people took offense to it because they wanted to find a reason to attack this man because he was doing this and he was getting so much media attention, mm-hmm. and like Vic said, I think. And, and how we start with people just trying to be not so segregated. It starts mm-hmm. with the people we're actually influencing. So media mm-hmm. culture, um, yes. these Fox News, these CNNs, like they're so against each other. Yes, and they are. That's another. That's another issue that people are actually watching a lot of TV, and they're seeing these issues, and then they're gearing towards only one side of because that's what they support. And right. it's so wrong. Like it's so wrong. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Sorry, Vic, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I think, I don't know what would happen in the world if for one day CNN and Fox News teamed up and made like a special <laughs> hour series. Like, I don't know what would happen in politics. I don't I, know. But yeah, sorry. I, I think their heads would explode. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> the, the news people. But no, I think that's, that's a really great point that you can't get your news source just from one side of the story and expect to make an informed decision, you know? So if... I only watched CNN or only got my stuff from CNN, that's going to be skewed entirely towards the left. Whereas, you know, you got the same thing with Fox News. If you only get your information from Fox News, you're going to be totally influenced and get all of your information and your facts, quote unquote, from the right. So you have to find that balance of, okay, like one, where am I getting my news from? What am I reading? And then also how can I make an informed decision after kind of evaluating both sides of the issue. Because I think, you know, today a lot of people are, are just so, like, party-driven or, you know, I'm very liberal, I'm very conservative, whatever, and they're not really willing to kind of hear the other side, which I think is a, a really dangerous thing in reality. You know, how would you say would be the easiest way to, to find real news? Because, you know, you hear a lot about, oh, that's fake news or whatever. How is it that you can actually find real like factual evidence Mm -hmm. yeah it is i think it's actually a little tougher to find quote-unquote real news today i think the way that the media is driven now is to kind of get the story out as fast as you possibly can even though the facts may not be correct by the time it's already been released and you know you can come back later and say oh you know what we made a mistake in that article like this is what actually happened but the damage has already been done. The article has already been out. It's been shared, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of times. And even though you've acknowledged that correction, you know, people aren't really going to notice. So I think acknowledging that that's how the media system works today and kind of doing your own fact checks. I think, you know, Google's a great source. It's not perfect. But I think also taking everything with a little bit of a grain of salt and acknowledging that, okay, this might not be a perfect article, but coming back later and then seeing one of changes have been made and then to kind of sharing that as well. Because again, these articles are shared and, you know, are posted on YouTube and on Instagram a mm-hmm. lot. So just kind of 
doing damage control, I guess. But that's hard for someone that's kind of just, you know, reading it and consuming it. Yeah. Yeah, because everyone's going to take information differently. Right. And that's right. proven so much over the past couple of years. Yes. And everything. Yep. Every, everyone's so sensitive to everything. You can't. You can't say a comment without being something of a confrontation. Like you really have to watch what you say, especially on um, on social media. Yeah, anything can definitely. get attacked to you. Just like what happened with Kevin Hart as to why he didn't host the Oscars. Right. They they literally backtracked a tweet to like yep, two thousand and ten like years. Like they actually wanted to ruin this guy's like hopes, like yeah. a, like a troll, you know, like to actually. Right. Like, I just find it is so wrong that people still want to do that and really try to ruin movements and ruin lives like that. Right. And I literally, I don't know, even Ellen tried to take, talk him out of it to actually, you know, right. do the Oscars. But, like, he said, no, like, for our, they want, want us, like, to, to essentially, like, it's even worse on him because, one, he's a person of color and he's right. talking against an issue that's, um, much more ex- um, aware now, like acknowledged, mm-hmm. not, like you said, yeah. uh, lack of better words, not acceptance, but like, yeah. it's, it's acknowledged now, like, right. you know, um, I went to the Red Sox game last Saturday of, mm-hmm. um, and it was Pride Day and the like, yes. my God, it was just, it was amazing. Like, it really People was amazing. Livid. Every single, like, green line, everything, orange line, red line, all throughout Heck Boston yeah. was just was just awesome, and I, and I really did love seeing that because five, seven years ago, half of that wouldn't even be a thing. Right. Yeah, and that it, that was amazing. I did see like all the posts, not just from the Red Sox, but from all the Boston teams, which I'm sure teams across the nation are doing. I just don't follow them, you know, as much or as well. But people were also livid about that. Like a lot of the Instagram comments were terrible. Yeah. Yeah, like just really negative and. There's just really, there's no, there's no need for that. It goes back to like the thing you learn when you're really, really little. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Don't say say anything at all. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was crazy. The, both the positive response that, you know, the team Scott and everything, but also the negative response as well. Yeah. We can't appease everyone. That comes with the territory. (laughs) Yep, definitely. And again, the fact that the teams did it is a fantastic, fantastic, you know, step in moving forward. So hopefully, you know, when they do it next year, there's less hateful comments, you know, on the post. So absolutely, that's why I like. That's why I like uh, sports getting involved. I like all these, mm-hmm. unlike all these other people, like <clears throat> of of news media, and say, hey, get your mouth, uh, get your um, stick to what you're doing and not talk about politics. Like, yo, you're, you're just so dumb for saying that. Don't say that. Like, right. you're literally demoralizing someone's thought. Like, don't do that. Like, right. what and- that, like, uh, what's this girl name? Um, Graham? Something? Laura Graham? I don't know what's her name. She's crazy. She's oh. the one who, who said the whole thing about Nipsey Hussle and the whole thing about LeBron James and oh, Shut Up yep. and Dribble. Oh, the, like, Laura, the Laura Ingraham show? Yes. That's her. Yep. Yes. She also attacked, like, um, oh, my gosh, the kids from from the school shooting in Florida. The Parkland the school. one? Parkland, thank you. Oh, my God. She, like, attacked them. Yeah. And, and said something about them as well. So, yeah, she's she's not the most positive person on the planet. And I also think it's <laughs> stupid. 
it's stupid to tell people who are involved in politics to not get involved in politics. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like politics, one, affect everyone, regardless yeah. of whether or not you want to be affected by it. And you're literally demoralizing people who have platforms to reach a greater audience. Right, right. And make a positive change in the nation, which is what, you know, we need and what the world <laughs> needs. So, yeah, I think that that comment was... Um, not well informed yeah a lot of those comments is like how can you like how are you allowed to say this like on air like i just sometimes it just it's like it's (laughs) mind-boggling to me how you are allowed to make those comments on air like Mm -hmm. like no censorship no nothing like there's just because she didn't say a swear and do this she's allowed to say it like yeah yeah yeah, I mean, the, the U.S. loves free speech. It's it's written in, you know, the Constitution, and it's not perfect, and it's not upheld, a, like, not a lot. It is upheld a lot. But, um, yeah, you can, you can say pretty much anything you want, and people do have the right to do that. Do I think her views are great? No, but she does have the right to say them. But mm-hmm. I also think that, you know, LeBron has the right to say what he wants to say, so it doesn't make sense to attack him for using his right to free speech if that makes any sense yeah yeah of course yeah so you know that's it's all it's all fun and games until it's not fun and games i was watching that and someone said that in a show the other day i forget what it was though oh. i can think of it i would say it i'll have it's to look probably, it up after it's probably something that would come out of friends to be honest <laughs> honestly <laughs> honestly oh man Oh man, I don't know. I just there's just something about it that is there needs to be change, um, especially sooner rather than later. Because bringing other future kids into the world, you don't want them learning all this stuff and then, you know, being like this individual or raising them up to be like a certain individual. Like, have your own mind, have your own thought, Mm -hmm. do what you do and do what you love, and be happy. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So, at the end of the day, it's all love, right, Vic? <laughs> all love, all love, twenty nineteen. All love, yeah. twenty nineteen. Hashtag all love, love twenty nineteen. All love. In twenty twenty, all love twenty twenty. Yeah. All love forever. All, all love, love forever. forever. Hashtag all love forever. We'll be trending. Yeah. Well, Sam, I hope this exam goes well for you, and. I hope the next time I speak to you on a podcast, you will be live in form of yes. being in law school. <laughs> yes, yes, we will see. Yeah, the next year I'll be in Delaware doing a service here working at a school. So, but after that, law school, baby. Love to see it. Hey. <laughs> You'll do great things. Thank you. Thank you. You guys will as well. You guys are so smart just listening to you know, the previous podcast episodes and knowing Christian, you know, I couldn't do what you guys do with, you know, the health science field and the nursing field. I don't have the brain for that, nor the skills for that, nor the stomach for that. So you guys are doing a lot of great things as well. So don't, don't sell yourself short. Thank you. (laughs) We appreciate it so much. Yeah. Yeah. We can't, we can't wait to have you back on Sam. Um, yeah. it was an appreciate, like we, it's like an honor to have you on. This is awesome. Oh, thank you. Your insight was awesome. Um, thank I you. learned so many yeah. new things and yeah, I, can, awesome. 
And we continue to it. learn more and more things throughout having guests around the podcast. And it's really just, you know, cliche as it sounds, we learn something new every day. Yeah, most definitely. You definitely, definitely do. And just, again, listening to other people, most important thing for all issues, not just, you know, politics and what I like, but also health science and what you guys like. So it's great. Yeah. And especially when we had Victoria on uh, two episodes ago. That was awesome. We really loved her energy on there. Oh, I love Victoria. <laughs> I love her. Yeah. Shout out to Victoria. Shout out to Victoria. Love you, girl. <laughs> My freshman year well, roomie. All love, see? For all love, all love 2019. For all love 2019. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you, uh, Sam. Thank you so much again yeah thank you for having me it was great i really loved it thank you thank you so much of course of course would love to come back if you ever ever need me again oh yeah oh, great yeah no I'm, don't worry i'm a fan we're of- gonna get famous <laughs> yes <laughs> yes no i'm a huge huge fan of the podcast i think it's really cool i was telling my mom that i was like doing this because i tell her everything because i love her so much um and she was like oh like what do you guys talk about i was like well we kind of just talk about like what we're doing now like because we're all post-grad and we're kind of in a weird spot and kind of what happens next mm-hmm. and she was like oh that's so cool and I was like yes it is and I was like listen to it because <laughs> 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 it's something that you know affects most people our age like what do we do next mm-hmm. so it's really yeah. cool what you guys are doing we appreciate Love you so yeah. much Sam. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well Vic it was all another right pleasure speaking to you again sam as always thank you so much of course thank you for having me again guys it was great it was a lot of fun yeah we'll see you guys next time thank you for listening bye guys thank you have a good one sam all love bye bye bye